This reading is taken from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could do, not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. One of the most difficult things I've had to do is say goodbye to my children when they've gone off for a gap year project or gone off to university. So I sympathise with Pastor Mike Bro. Mike Bro tells the following story of when his daughter Jodie put her faith in Jesus and committed herself to serving him. Mike Bro says, at school Jodie struggled to find a faith of her own. She eventually came to faith when she left school, she said, I don't think God wants me to go to college right now. I want to take a year to go to Haiti, and I want to serve people in a medical mission down there. I said, are you sure you want to do this, Jodie? It's 3,000 miles away from home. It's AIDS infested and the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And do you know it's controlled by the voodoo religion? I know all that, she said, but I feel like God wants me to go and help those people. I said, OK, if that's what you want to do, we'll make it happen. One of the hardest days of my life was putting my little girl on a plane and watching it lift off, not knowing whether I'd ever communicate with her again. One night I got an email from Jodie. She wrote, Dad, tonight has been the most remarkable night of my life. I got called out to this hut to deliver a baby. Dad had only delivered one, and that was with somebody. I'd never done this by myself, but I was the only one around. They called me, and I get to this hut, and there's this naked, screaming lady on the dirt floor. I got a flashlight, and I'm thinking, here I am, 18 years old, and I'm in a hut in a third world country with a naked, screaming, pregnant lady. I have a flashlight and I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here. To make matters worse, 
this lady from the voodoo religion walked into the hut, dressed in her red and blue voodoo garb, and began to chant some voodoo incantation in Creole. She put some kind of oil on the lady's head, and when she started to walk away from me and the woman, she stopped at the woman's belly, put some other kind of salve there, and walked the opposite direction, all the while chanting this Creole spell. I didn't know what to do. She stood at the head of the woman and stared a hole through me. When I was getting ready to deliver this baby, I just looked back at her and I started singing. I knew she didn't understand English, but I just started singing. Our God is an awesome God, he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Jody said the voodoo lady became completely unglued. She grabbed all of her stuff and ran out of the hut. Jody wrote that night, I knew that the baby was going to be born with the blessing of God and not the curse of Satan. As I read Jody's email, my fatherly side thought, you get on a plane tomorrow. What are you doing in a hut with a voodoo woman in the first place? But then I thought, way to go, Jody. Way to make a difference with your life. Way to stop floating around accidental-like. Way to put your life in the hands of the destiny maker. Way to make a splash. Who knows that this little baby that you delivered that night is going to, who is going to grow up to touch and who that person is going to touch. All because of one courageous girl who said, OK, God, I want to put my life in your hands. I want to make a difference. Jody had faith in Christ. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? That's been the great issue at this stage in Mark's Gospel. In chapter 5, Jesus raises a girl from the dead and heals a woman with a persistent bleeding. Both these families are called to exercise faith. Jesus has burst onto the scene in the early chapters. He clearly shows that he has the authority of God. For example, he forgives a man's sin. Only God can forgive sin. Jesus has authority over demons and authority over sickness. The crowds flock to Jesus, but the religious and political establishment are suspicious of him. The obvious implication for us of all this is that we should put our faith in Jesus. He is God come to save us. And yet what we see today is that the people of Jesus' hometown of Nazareth largely do not believe in him. But that when the twelve disciples put their faith in Jesus, they are able to minister in his power and authority. So today, lack of faith in Nazareth and test of faith in mission. Firstly, lack of faith in Nazareth. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus leaves the family of Jairus, whose daughter Jesus has raised from the dead, once again showing that Jesus is God. Jesus leaves there and goes to his hometown, to Nazareth, with his disciples. Verse 2. On the Sabbath, 
Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were amazed. We know from Luke 4 that not everyone in Nazareth was impressed by Jesus. After Jesus famously teaches in the synagogue on Isaiah 61, in which he claims to be the Messiah, he's driven out of the town by the people and taken to the brow of a hill in order to be thrown off a cliff. But it is not God's time for Jesus to die. And Jesus walks right through the crowd and goes on his way. The point is, there is terrible lack of faith in Nazareth. At first, here in verse 2 of chapter 6, those who hear him are amazed at his teaching. Jesus clearly was a spellbinding teacher. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given him? There's also no doubt that Jesus was performing miracles. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Verse 3. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. In other words, who does Jesus think he is? He's just an ordinary Nazareth boy. How dare he show himself to be so exceptional? It can be a bit like this when we try and share the gospel with those near to us. Perhaps our parents or our siblings or our spouse or just people who've known us for a long time. Sometimes it's easier to share the gospel with strangers than with those who've known us for a long time. As Jesus puts it in verse 4, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. I pastored a church in my hometown. I know something of the reality of these verses. There were people there who took offence at me, perhaps, because they knew me too well. Whatever the reason, verse 5, he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and healed them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. What should we take away from this? We must not make the same mistake. Will we be impressed by Jesus? Will we be drawn to Jesus? Or will we take offence at Jesus? Jesus never shies away from teaching us the truth. He taught the truth in the synagogue. He confronts us with our spiritual state. He confronts us with the fact that we are sinners. We're under the just condemnation of God. He also confronts us with the fact that we are totally dependent on him for forgiveness. He alone is able to save us. There is no other religious leader who is God come in the flesh. There is no other religious leader who is able to save us from sin, death and hell. There is no other religious leader who has taken the penalty for our sin in his own body on the cross. No one else has taken the wrath of God for our sin and dealt with it fully and finally. These truths will either thrill us 
and draw us to Jesus, or they will appall us and repel us from Jesus. We will either say, yes, Lord, I believe you are God. You are the only saviour of the world. You alone can save me. Or we will attempt to silence Jesus and we will push him away. Which will it be for us? Which will it be for our families? How we need to pray for our friends and families, that they will love and receive Jesus and not try and silence him. So, there is a lack of faith in Nazareth. And secondly, we see test of faith in mission. Bono, the lead singer of the rock group U2, was asked if the claim of Jesus' divinity is far-fetched. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to Christ's story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, and had a lot to say along the lines of the other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. And people say, no, no, please just be a prophet, a prophet we can take. But don't mention the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes, no, no. I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually, I am the Messiah. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. This man was strapping himself to a bomb and had King of the Jews on his head. And as they were putting him up on the cross, was going, OK, martyrdom here we go bring on the pain the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have had its face changed and turned upside down by a nutcase for me that's far-fetched what do you make of jesus verse 6b then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. This is a good use of Jesus' time. There are people in these villages who will welcome him. Verse 7, calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So the twelve disciples are still inexperienced and relatively untaught. But Jesus throws them in the deep end. He sends them out to learn to be his ambassadors. What this says to us is that we are never too young in the faith to speak a word for Jesus. Even if we haven't been listening to Christian teaching for very long, we can say to our friends and colleagues and neighbours, come and meet this Jesus who has touched my life. No one can argue with your personal experience. I think it's significant that they're sent out in pairs. It's clearly easier to minister with an encouraging friend. It's also essential that we minister in the authority of Jesus. 
just as the disciples here are given authority over evil spirits. We will be opposed by demons as we minister for Christ. That's why it's essential that we pray. We need to begin and end the day in prayer. We need to stay in touch with Jesus through the day with prayer. We need to ask for his authority as we represent him. I've been talking recently with someone who's frankly cleverer than me and who can out-argue me. But if Jesus speaks to him with his authority through me, it doesn't matter how clever this person is or how articulate. When my friend is confronted with the authority of Jesus, then he will simply bow before him. So prayer is essential. It worries me how few come to our church prayer meetings. I know people are busy. I know that people perhaps pray in home group. But there is, is there a groundswell of earnest prayer of people crying out to God to have mercy on the lost? We must have the authority of Jesus on our ministries. Otherwise, we're simply arguing with people in our own strength. And there's no power in this. Jesus deliberately sets up the whole mission as a great test of the disciples' faith. Verse 8. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. In other words, they must depend on God completely. The application for us is not that we should not take food with us if we go on a missionary trip, or that we should take no money for petrol. The application for us is that we should rely on God completely for everything. Verse 9, we should wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. We can be basically equipped for the day, but we rely on God to meet our needs. This is very much our experience as a church. Covid is causing many charities to suffer a shortfall in income. God has been remarkably gracious to Christchurch. Our income has been largely unaffected by Covid. God is meeting all our needs through the sacrificial giving of his people. Thank you for your self-sacrifice in this. But we're forced to fall back on God in prayer and seek his provision for all our needs. God wants us to be dependent on him. He doesn't want us to be so well supplied that we don't feel the need to pray. Perhaps this is one of our problems. We think we have all that we need to be successful. We're not cast back on the mercy of God. It's only in the power and authority of God that we'll see conversions and growth in the church. Verse 10. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, rely on God to provide you with the hospitality that you need to do ministry. Verse 11. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place 
and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It was the practice of strict Jews that they should shake the dust off their feet if they'd been travelling in Gentile territory. Now this becomes a sign of God's judgment on those who will not submit to the Lord Jesus. Jesus is very stark. If we submit to him and love him, we receive grace and mercy. If we reject him, this shaking of the dust off our feet is a testimony against those who reject Jesus. I have a neighbour who said to me, please don't invite me to any more Christian events. I am an atheist. I've made up my mind. Jesus respects this. If people decide to reject him, they're treated as grown-ups. If people choose to risk their eternal destiny, if people decide they can face the possibility of God's judgment on their own, without the forgiveness Jesus offers, if this is their decision, ultimately, that is final. Shake the dust off your feet. Nonetheless, we should do everything in our power, and more importantly in God's power, to draw people to faith in Jesus. And so, verse 12, we should be like the disciples. They went out and preached that people should repent. That's the most basic work of a Christian. We should share with people that they need to repent. God is a holy God. God does judge sin. And the only way to be safe for the day of judgment is to repent. Earnestly to say to God that we're sorry for our sin and that we turn away from all that we know to be wrong. We repent of all our sin and we turn to Christ. We embrace Christ. We now follow Christ. We belong to Christ. We trust in Christ alone, in his death and resurrection, to save us from hell, from God's wrath, from God's judgment, for heaven, for God's favour and blessing. And the sign that all this was true was that as the disciples preached repentance, verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. These miracles authenticated Jesus' apostles. As apostles, as Jesus' spokesmen. In the same way, demons flee as the church today preaches the gospel, provided that we do so in the power of the Spirit, undergirded by prayer. If we're not praying people, then we face demonic opposition in our own strength. And that's a vulnerable position to be in. What will we take away from all this? There is a great lack of faith in Nazareth. We mustn't be like this. 
especially if we've been Christians for many years. We should know better. We should know by now that God is faithful, that Jesus is God, that Jesus does have all authority over sickness, over demons. He has conquered sin and death and hell. Jesus demands our absolute allegiance and loyalty. And as we go out into the world, we go in faith. We rely on the power of the Spirit to meet all our needs and to add authority to our message so that when we share the gospel, when we call people to repentance, that is exactly what happens. Men and women, boys and girls, turn from their sin and follow Jesus, trusting Jesus to be their saviour, obeying Jesus as their king. Are you in? Are you willing to stake everything on your faith in Jesus? There's no more certain grounds for assurance, for the best way to live now and the only way to be assured of eternal peace after death. Let's pray together. Father, how we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for his power and his authority. Thank you that he is God come as one of us. Father, please would we not be like those in Nazareth who lacked faith. Please would we have faith in Jesus. And please would we minister in the power of the Spirit, undergirded by prayer. Please give us opportunities to speak of Christ with our friends and family and neighbours and colleagues. And please, Lord, would we see fruit. Please would we see people becoming Christians and growing in their faith in Jesus. We ask this in his name and for his glory. Amen.